What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Noren, your Swede, and Elliot Niblock, your Yank. So, Elliot, prior to this match week, we uh, spoke about this slate of games being Melanmjölk, which, you know, 2% milk, roughly, and that it might not be the most exciting match week on paper. Yeah, and then when we actually brought it to our lips, we got some heavy cream because this was there were a lot of great games over the weekend. Yeah, it was it was really fun watching a lot of these games. You know, unfortunately, I don't have NBC Sports Gold, so I wasn't able to see everything. But catching some highlights here and there of the games that were not on regular TV or streaming. Um, yeah, you got to say we were we were dead wrong. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with going dead wrong. I mean, it was uh, an eventful, an eventful weekend. Couple of uh, high-scoring matches, a marquee upset, and then even really the matches in which the team that was favored won. You know, the Manchester clubs, both City and United, coming away with three points. But those games were still eventful in and of themselves with talking points and, you know, Yedlin scored for Newcastle, which as the Yank, I'm excited to see. And that game was more even than many might've thought. So yeah, it was, you know, I gotta, gotta step back and say, all right, match day four, you've got more than 2% milk fat. My bad. Yes, exactly. They are whole milk. There we go. (laughs) Okay. Maybe not heavy cream. No, not heavy cream. That would have been when we have those, you know, four, three thrillers and stuff like that. That's when you bring out the heavy cream. Hey, man, three, two, three, two. It's at least half and half. Come on. Uh, Okay. I'll give it half. See, that's (laughs) that's something we didn't even bring up last time was half and half. That's also a, that's the devil's work right there. What are you talking about? It's part of some perfect blend. No, it's stupid. Just. Why would you just buy a little bit of heavy cream then and then pour in some milk? There, boom, half and half. No, it takes away a step. Mm. Easier. And also, the the real devil's work is fat-free half and half. That stuff is certainly from Hades. I don't know what is happening there. How can you even call something fat? How okay? This is just my boom, mind blown. (laughs) Fat-free half and half, man. It's in it's American supermarkets, dude. There's fat-free iterations of almost everything, including things that are, by definition, full versus less fat content, such as half and half. Yeah, that's weird. It's like, you know, not to delve too deep into the shelves on the supermarket, but the thing with the fake butter, I don't understand that. As a European, that is something that I can never really come to terms with. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about, like, Margarine or smart balance or I mean balance margarine. Kind of I mean we have margarine, but the the fact that like I can't believe it's not butter and it's just, yeah. Well, that's margarine. It's, I can't believe it's not butter. It's margarine. Ugh, I don't know. Well, I like I, I like uh, my old traditional real butter. Yeah, smart balance is fine. I used to use that a lot because it's a little saltier than butter, and you could get big tubs of it for cheap when I was in college. And, I don't know, it's all right. It's supposedly not quite as bad for you. I don't really care one way or the other. Yeah. Earth Balance is vegan. I know a lot of people use it because of that, but whatever. Let's talk about football and not just milk fat and yes. dairy products. Yeah, let's <laughs> jump into it. And first out, we had that early game on Saturday. Liverpool took a 2-1 to win over Leicester on the road. And uh, you were correcting your guess there that Liverpool would not keep another clean sheet. 
Well, and I also predicted the scoreline correctly, so we maybe didn't get the whole weekend's general thrust of the fixtures correct with our milk metaphors, but at least that one I was on with the 2-1 to one victory for the Reds. Yeah, so they've, you know, they got a couple of these narrow wins here now, but they keep on winning. They're now one of three teams that have four wins in a row to open up the season. They're sitting at the top of the table. So once again, yeah, you only got a narrow win, but at the same time, you got all three points. You got to be happy. Yeah, definitely. But the one thing that we can take away from this game as far as something negative would have to be that huge mistake by Allison. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was a howler. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, they, yeah, it resulted in a goal, but they still got all three points. I mean, you know, we'll speak more about the Arsenal match soon, but, like, Czech has had a couple of howlers this season, one of which in match day four, and easily could have been punished in hilarious fashion just as badly as that. So... Yeah, I mean, Allison said, I mea culpa, it was totally my fault. I promise I won't make that mistake again. Realistically, if you're playing at this level, just putting pen to paper on that contract should be a promise you wouldn't make that kind of mistakes. But of course, we've seen it happen. Maybe it's just the ghost of Carius. Well, I, I think it's more the fact that he's a Brazilian keeper, really. <laughs> I mean, they do love the ball at their feet. Yeah. But sometimes it doesn't work out when you try to dribble. Um, a charging attacker, but you know it's uh, it is what it is. Sort of there. If it would have cost them points, I think that would have been a much bigger story, of course. But they came away with the win, so all is fine and dandy in Liverpool land right now as they head into the international break at the top of the table. Uh, we're gonna move over and talk about Brighton and Fulham. You know, a two-two draw, two goals by Glenn Murray, and. To bring in our Swedish, you know, idiom of the day, <laughs> or of the episode, I would probably be a better uh, saying. So, Glenn Murray, he's uh, 34 years old, and you would say that someone, be darsintid. So, to sort of translate that over, play... Wait, say that again? Be darsintid. Be darsintid. So... That if I have to translate it, you're playing the long game, sort of. Ah, okay. So Murray, like we said, 34 years old, and has you know for the most part of his career, you know, playing in the lower leagues, and then mm-hmm. you know got a shot with Crystal Palace in the Premier League back in 2013-14. Played a couple of seasons there, then went on um, loaned Bournemouth played in the Premier mm-hmm. League, and then he went back to Brighton. He played for Brighton and Hove Albion. Before, yeah. The he, he played with Brighton before. Uh, yeah, in League One. Yeah. But came back there uh, 2016-17, scored 23 goals as they won promotion to Premier League. And then last season, you know, he had a respectable 12 goals in 35 appearances. I think that's very respectable. And, oh, now, so- and now he's opened up this season on fire, too. He had both goals against Fulham. And really, at 34 years old, really seeing, I mean, this has to be the highlight of his career, right? Oh, by far. You know, and we talk a lot about, um, 
we talk a lot about Manchester United and Arsenal on this podcast, which I think is natural because, you know, there are clubs and, you know, we talk a lot about kind of the teams really vying for the title in general, but we still try to work in kind of as much neutral fandom as possible. And I think you, from a neutral perspective, Glenn Murray, you have to be so thrilled for Glenn Murray, right? You know, it's just, it's so fun to watch someone who is enjoying a swan song in his career, maybe not as emphatic as, you know, Jamie Vardy's championship season, but still similar in that a player from the lower leagues, but also one who is much older coming into his own at the very end. Yeah, that's when you first said, uh, I already, I don't speak Swedish, I can't say the phrase, but my thought was swan song. But I guess, yeah, play the long game, very similar. Yeah, so he's enjoying his time here in the Premier League at his advanced age. It's hard to say he's only a year older than me, but, you know, <laughs> in footballing years, I would be ancient. So there we yeah. go. Uh, yeah, for Fulham, Shurle and Mitrovic get on the board again. So nice for them to that they keep scoring. Uh, Brighton could have gotten all three points out of this as... Uh, um, let me not butcher his name too much. Pascal Gross. Uh, had a penalty saved by Marcus Bettinelli. So Brighton, you know, solid point here against Fulham, but I think they're a little bit disappointed they didn't get all three. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think, though, especially having, you know, based on the flow of the match, right, having that penalty saved and then going down two goals the goals fans still had to have left that stadium happy, right? You know, obviously it's frustrating when you drop points at home. It's frustrating to, you know, be awarded a penalty and fail to convert it. But, you know what, if you're down 2-0 and you get an 84th minute equalizer, you're you're going to the pub after the match smiling, maybe not ear to ear, but, you know, it's still still a fun day out for the fans. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, anytime you come back and get a point... You know, late-ish in the game, Murray tied things up in 84th minute. You got you got to be happy. Uh, Chelsea took a two nothing win at home to Bournemouth. Uh, two late goals, Pedro seven, uh, 72nd minute, and then Eden Hazard 85th minute. Bournemouth stood up well in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and Chelsea. I think this is one of the one of those issues that you. It's so much. So much of football journalism is done in hindsight, right? Or is done with kind of trying to predict the short-term future based on the long-term past. And we often talk about the kind of performances Chelsea's had. It's like, yeah, well, you know, they're top of the table with all their wins, but they haven't looked convincing in all of them. But then on the flip side is that you know, if we're talking about them as title contenders come March then those, these exact same results get flipped on their head. And you say, oh, well, you know, even when they're not paying at their best, they still manage to get three points. And so this is an instance of exactly that, right? Like Chelsea are playing a team in Bournemouth that all respect to Bournemouth, you would still expect Chelsea to dispatch at Stamford Bridge. And yet they still made it past the 70th minute goalless. Um, and at that point, you start to get kind of nervy. And so... In the immediate hindsight, with just four games under our belts at this point in the season, it's hard to say, right? You know, you say, okay, well, Chelsea are they're doing well, but they, they still haven't given it their all yet. And I think that, for my money, their performances have been almost almost more 
convincing to me, at least in terms of changing my own thinking about the title race, right? Like we've been talking about how Liverpool and City are the front runners, and I still think they are, but four games in, Chelsea have really forced their way into that conversation for me. And at this point, I I might even choose them to pit Tottenham for finishing second or third in the league. Well, especially when you take into account that they got a new manager, new system, and everything that comes with that. I think it's – and a couple of new players too. It's very impressive what they've been able to do. And we've said it before, you know, if Morata can – start scoring they can be lethal or even if they you know feel like Giroud might be a better fit down the line and he starts putting in some goals as long as they can get some contribution from one of their big men then yeah Chelsea definitely can be a title contender so it will be interesting to see here and I think it's perfect for Maurizio Sarri to come in as a new manager and get you know, a very good start with four straight wins here heading into the international break. Oh, yeah, it's a dream start. Yeah, so a lot of positive things there for Chelsea, even though, you know, at times they haven't been looking super, super convincing. Uh, looking at the bottom of the table, we have five teams that still not won a game. And... Um, Worst of the bunch, West Ham. Four straight losses to open up the season. Not a good start for their new manager. And the latest one came a one nothing defeat at home to Wolves. Adama Traore with the lone goal in this one deep in the stoppage time. And if you're West Ham, is it already time to sort of hit the panic button? Or really, what can you do at this point? I mean, we've spoken about it before, and that this is a team that, you know, based on the quality that they have, they they should be playing much better. And so I think that you have to say you have to look you have to look at their squad and say, yeah, this is the flip side, right? Chelsea dream start. This is a horror start. Yes, but. With players like, you know, even though I don't think any of these are world beaters, but they're all legitimate Premier League class players in Chicharito, Yarmolenko, Arnautovic, Jack Wilshire, you know, Robert Snodgrass. Like, and all of these players are quality. Quality, and they haven't come together as a squad in the way that you were saying that, you know, Chelsea had started to do that quickly, fortunately, under a new manager, still have a lot you know, a lot of developing to do, but I think that this is a team that I'm still going to pick them to stay up, but based on the performances we've seen this season, they still might be in the muck of it. Honestly, I think that, you know, all all those names that I just listed off aside, to me, the biggest X factor that they have is Lucas Fabianski. Now, that may seem kind of ridiculous given that his club from last season got relegated and is playing in the championship in Swansea. But nonetheless, I rate him extremely highly. You know, And I think that in his performance against, uh, against Arsenal at match day three, he showed me that, yes, he is 100% a Premier League quality keeper and I think one of the best five or six goalkeepers in the league, to be honest. So, of course, really disheartening to start four matches with not only no points, but also only two goals conceding 10. But nonetheless, you know, West Ham, West Ham have reasons to be optimistic. And I think that 
they'll be very happy to have this international break to kind of stop, reset, refocus, and I expect them to pick up some points through the month of September. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what Pellegrini does here if he tweaks the system, if he changes out a couple of players. But yeah, he'll he'll definitely take these two weeks to sort of mull things over. Uh, we should say that Southampton took a 2-0 win on the road against Crystal Palace. Goals by Danny Ings and Pierre-Emile Huybiari. And then Everton got a 1-1 draw at home against Huddersfield. Calvert-Lewin and Billing with the goals in that one. Uh, no red card, so yay for Everton. <laughs> <laughs> and then the late game on Saturday, that was Manchester City beating Newcastle 2-1 at home. Uh, Raheem Sterling and Kyle Walker scored goals for City. DeAndre Yedlin, like you said earlier, got the goal for Newcastle. And yeah, this game was a little bit more even that we, than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, Newcastle were even for a lot of it. And uh, many of us expected that they would just get blown out of the water. Um, you know, not to beat a dead horse about this, but I think that Yedlin has to be particularly thrilled, right, with that kind of knee injury scare. Uh, some of us were concerned with him going off that he might not be playing for weeks, if not months. And then here he is, you know, equalizing for his club at the Etihad. Granted, they still ended up dropping the points. But again, me being the Yank, from that perspective of the U.S. men's national team, that, that was a very, very nice silver lining. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and two nice goals by Sterling and Walker, too. Very good finishes by that duo. So City, they stay undefeated. They sit in fourth place right now as um, Watford, still one of the four teams, or one of the three teams that have opened up with four four wins as they beat Tottenham 2-1 to one at home. Yeah. Troy, yeah. Troy Deeney and Craig Cathart with the goals. Yeah, beaten by a couple of good headers and well beaten as well. Yes, yeah, both both headers and both through crosses from Jose Holebas. And then uh, Ducore got an own goal uh, as well, so no Spurs player scoring in this one. Of course, yeah, as I late. put Harry Kane as my captain in fantasy. Oh, of course. Well, and he, he missed a great chance to equalize near the end of the match with a header that he sent over the bar. So, I don't know, maybe we're getting August Harry Kane in September. <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> then I got to pull him out of my fantasy team. Uh, well, you know, that's that's for you to decide, Seb. Yeah, yeah so Watford, I mean, it's still, like we said, even last after last win. I mean, it's too early for them to adjust their goals, of course, but phenomenal first run of fixtures here, and Really, we said that their upcoming games were sort of test what they're made of and off to a good start here with a win against Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that, you know, in speaking with those title challengers, we're not going to be talking about Watford at the end of the season. But again, to echo another sentiment that we talked about is that they've got to take Leicester City as their uh, as their model. You know, keep your head down, you focus on the next match, and you keep focusing on the next match all the way through March. And only then can you really afford to pick your head up and say, okay, realistically, where are we? Like, <laughs> maybe we should reevaluate our goals. But, 
you know, you've got to at least get to the other side of the congested Christmas fixture list in order to start realistically thinking about, okay, where are we going to be near the end of the season? But that said, all credit to them, you know. We're talking about West Ham with all of this talent on the books and all of this quality in the squad going in, praying for the break for the international. And on the flip side, boy, Watford are going to be celebrating that. <laughs> no, it's true. And, I mean, just looking at those lineups, too, I don't feel like there's a, oh, I would pick Watford starting 11 over West Ham starting 11 seven days a week. No. But they're getting it together. They're very solid defensively. You know, holding Spurs to two shots on target, that's really good. I mean, they did have a couple of good chances that they put wide. But at the same time, limiting limiting them two shots on target, that's very, very well done by Watford. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially given that Spurs had 66% of the possession, that they were able to absorb that pressure. And, you know, I mean, of course, obviously it's frustrating. Okay, well, two shots on its target, still get a goal from their own goal. But... Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that they did a, a very good job of shutting down an extremely dangerous Tottenham side. Um, now, a Tottenham side that is also, it, with admittedly a limited sample size, not looked particularly confident on the road this season. So that is going to be something to watch, especially as they don't really have their own stadium to make a fortress at home. Yes. So. That's that's going to be, I, you know, I spoke already in this show about how Chelsea's performance have really altered my thinking, you know, more so for them than uh, City, for example, dropping points in terms of the title race. But, yeah, I, I would say, pain me as it does as an Arsenal fan, at this point you've got to pick pretty clearly the pecking order of London clubs is Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal. And we'll see also Spurs. They do have something to celebrate as uh, Hyomin Son led South Korea to uh, victory in the Asian Games. So by all looks of it now, he will be exempt from doing that mandatory military training. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's huge, really. Um, so good on him for that. Congratulations to South Korea. And... Um, you know, that could definitely be a, a player that comes back on a high here now and can help Spurs to sort of kick, get things going as well. Because, you know, he has his moments. Oh, it's more than just has his moments. I mean, I think he's, uh, I don't want to press this pun too much, but an unsung hero mm. within this Tottenham squad. Uh, you know, I mean, he's kind of the utility player who doesn't get on the score sheet nearly as much as Harry Kane, although a few players in the world do. And you know, doesn't even quite get the plaudits for his creative ability as a Christian Eriksen or even a Deli Ali, but he is good in both of those facets and is just a fantastic, solid squad player that I think is going to be kind of on that that fringe of starting 11 for a sub off the bench, at least for a little while, coming back from international duty. But yeah, no, that he he improve he would improve just about any team in the Premier League, Tottenham included, and they'll be glad to have him back. Unsung hero. Oof. Bad level bad on that one. Okay, so moving... Yeah, I said I didn't want to press it. You're, yep. the, one, you're the one who's uh, reiterating yep. it here. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so moving over to our teams. Uh, Arsenal, they took a 3-2 win over Cardiff on the road. 
late winner by Lacassette, 81st minute. Uh, Skodra Mustafi and Pierre-Emerick Aboumeyang also got on the score sheet for the Gunners. Uh, Victor Kamarasa and Danny Ward scored for Cardiff. So what's your takeaway from this? They did pull out the win, but at the same time, did you feel like they were looking convincing? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, so I think checks near Howler and conceding a goal in and of itself is enough to be concerned from an Arsenal perspective. But one, once again, I'll say I do not expect Arsenal to keep a single clean sheet this season, it, at least not with this configuration of players. And case, you know, it's a case in point that they come into Cardiff and play a team that has not scored a goal. The only team, I'll say, in not only the Premier League, but also all professional English leagues combined to fail to score through three matches. And they concede two. Oh, wow. I did <laughs> uh, not know that it was that bad. Yeah, and they not only conceded two, but they really easily could have conceded more. Now, that said, they could have scored more as well. Lacazette hit the post in the first half. They did create chances, but yeah, I was saying to my good friend Drew that this is gonna, this is the reality for Arsenal this season, is that you know, you're going to be expecting us to concede goals, and if we're going to win, we're going to have to score probably two or more goals every match. Because, as I said, at least one goal is almost a gimme when you're playing teams with the quality that exists across the table in the Premier League. But we also had some beautiful goals of our own. You know, the Aubameyang equalizer, just the second side of halftime, was phenomenal. Uh, it was also really great to see Lacazette's flick on to him, his finish, not just their partnership, but also how thrilled Lacazette was in terms of seeing Aubameyang score, right? You know, because I think that you, the striker mentality, you need to be ruthless, but sometimes that can also be a me-firstism that creates friction in a squad. I mean, look at Cavani and Neymar, who's going to take the penalties, right? And there's clearly none of that between Lacazette and Aubameyang, and that is excellent from an Arsenal perspective. And Lacazette's finish for the winner was equally excellent as well. So, I mean, I, I certainly take some positives, but you know, it's going to be a shootout any match that Arsenal wins until two things have to happen. First, we need a more solid defensive pairing. Maybe that's Laurent Koscielny coming back. I don't know. Mustafi scored a great bullet header, but I still don't rate him defensively. B, we need Lucas Torreira starting in the middle of the park. We are better with him on the pitch. He assisted Lacazette's winner, and I think that his vision is important going forward. But he also just gives us more solidity in the middle of the park. And, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic with needing to come back from international duty. But if he is not starting our first match back, after the international break, I will be flabbergasted and frustrated. Duly noted. I do understand that. I can I can see that him making a real push for a starting spot there. Did you like Emery's decision, though, to go with both Lacazette and Aubameyang in the starting 11? I did. I did. Uh, and I think that... I, you know, I was just speaking about their partnership on the pitch and also just kind of like the lack of friction between the two, and that's really important. I mean, I think I understand the the versatility and the impacts of, of having Lacazette come off the bench. Um, 
But I definitely want them both on the field at the same time, if at all possible. And I think that they showed at Cardiff that, yeah, they can play very well together. And I think that that's the best formation for Arsenal moving forward, especially given, as I just said, I expect us to bleed goals at the back. So we need all hands on deck and attack. Do you still think that Czech will be between the posts when they take on Newcastle on the 15th? I think so. I hope not. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I've said this before. He's an absolute legend, and he's also clearly on the decline. And even more so, he's just not comfortable playing with the ball at his feet. And his distribution with his hands is still excellent. But his confidence with the ball at his feet, and that's the way that Emery wants to play, is just not there yet. And he still makes some good saves. I mean, he still has something to contribute to this Arsenal squad. But I don't see how you drop over 20 million pounds on a goalkeeper and leave him sitting on the bench when the goalkeeper that you have has given up some howlers of chances. And if they'd been buried, then I think that the pressure would be immense. But you know what? Regardless of whether or not the strikers finish those chances, I'm thinking also about you know our first week against City and the near egregious own goal and Czech almost passed it into his own net, conceding a corner. You know, those two... If those are goals, then I don't think there's any way that Czech is still playing. But you know what? Regardless of whether or not they end up on the score sheet, those are still egregious errors that, in another context, will lead to goals. And I would like to see Emery make that change before they end up impacting matches and causing points to be dropped. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see if Leno can get a, uh, a starting spot here soon. Who knows? Maybe he'll try him out in the cup first. We'll see. We'll I think see. that's possible. I think they might bring him into the Europa League and see if he can't play his way into the squad. But I, for my money, again, Czech has made some great saves, but those kind of errors are, they just are unacceptable at this level. And I don't care how legendary you've been in the course of your career. You should be held accountable for those errors and, you should be on the bench when another player has yet to have a chance to prove himself. Yep. Okay, let's wrap things up with Manchester United. Burnley, United took a 2-0 win on the road at Turf Moor. A uh, double by Lukaku sealed the win for United. Paul Pogba had a penalty saved by Joe Hart. And Marcus Rashford thought it was a good idea to sort of mildly headbutt Phil Bardsley to get himself sent off. So straight red for Rashford. So I'm assuming three games for violent conduct. Wow, Seb, I am I am surprised by how you led into that red card discussion. What do you mean? I've, I've, I, I've wanted to side with Rashford in this. I mean, yeah, like he lost his cool, but he, he was baited into it. I mean, he was responding to a kickout. You yeah, know? but he... he you know, he took it, what do you say, line and sinker. He, yeah, hook, he, line, and sinker. Yeah, exactly. That was, he shouldn't have reacted at all. If anything, he should have just pleaded for the referee to, you know, wave an um, imaginary yellow card or something. Don't, don't, don't ever go up to a player with your, leaning in with your head. Just don't do it. Just yeah. don't do it. I mean, Bardsley... To his credit, or if you want to say that, he didn't exaggerate the situation. He didn't fall down like he just got shot from the grassy knoll. No, but I but I also think that's 
you can call it gamesmanship. I call it dirty play. I mean, and if you look at the replays, yeah, he's, he's clearly baiting Rashford into it. But he not only does he kick out at Rashford going over the touchline, but he, he glares at him as he walks away. You know, yeah, he's clearly baiting him into it, but I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. I, I think that I have to agree with you that you want Rashford to be smarter there. But I lose respect for Bardsley in this situation more than I do for Rashford. Because yeah, if some, if that happens to me, I'm gonna like you know I'm gonna be lost in the red mist for a moment as well. No, I understand Rashford's reaction, uh, but like I said, I want him to keep his cool there. And like you said, it's a dirty, dirty play by Bardsley, and yeah. you know, really, I I feel like that is something that should be looked at if you know, there was a way for United to sort of appeal this and be like, hey, look at this. This is why this happened. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a, you know, bad non-call from the refs to not see the fact that what Phil Bartsley did to Rashford to sort of, you know, bait him in. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's frustrating because the, the match ban doesn't even give him a rest because he'd already be, you know, rested from the international break anyway. Uh, although, you know, maybe you can say, okay, well, if he features for England, then he's at least resting after those matches. But regardless, in some sense, yeah, you want him to be smarter. He's still a really young player. Oh, yeah. And this can be a learning experience. And you know what? If a red card learning experience comes at a 2-0 victory, then, you know, there, there he could have gotten – he and United more – Broadly could have gotten punished much worse for this than they actually were because you know three match ban is unfortunate. They may appeal, but certainly all three points are what's most important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we should say that Bartley got a yellow card, but in my book, not sure that that was enough. Um, but yeah, Rashford's got to keep his cool. You you also wonder if let's say United had opened up the season with three straight wins that were playing great. I'm not sure that Rashford would have reacted that way. I agree. After, I, that's after, a good point. After two mentally very heavy losses against Brighton and Spurs, you know, all is not well in the United camp. We know this. So that definitely could have played a factor as well. But they do get all three points. Lukaku with the brace. That's a positive. At the same time, I mean, I'm going to say what I've been keeping say. You know, Mourinho's not right for this team. That that's the bottom line. It's not. This is not going to change my view that the modern game has passed him by. You know, he he. If he proves me wrong, I would be so happy. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. Another thing to take from this game too was that that plane that flew over Turf Moor, uh, criticizing Ed Woodward with a banner. That was. Kind oh, of, I didn't see that. That's, oh, gosh. I mean, that's just hilarious. Uh, that someone's like, okay, let's put up a plane with a banner on it and fly it over the stadium. That's always fun. Always fun stuff. Um, and then, you know, the the penalty from Pogba, I don't like his run-up. He does that stutter, slow stutter step as he goes yeah. up towards the ball. I don't, just don't like it. Just, I don't know. It's It's the same thing. I don't like the ones that sort of, you know, pump fake before they shoot either. Just just hit the ball and do it in a yeah. good fashion. I don't know. I mean, you got to give Hart credit for saving it, but it was not a good penalty. 
Yeah, it wasn't great. So United, at least, they get a win. They sit mid-table after that. And um, yeah, we'll see what Mourinho can do with this international break, but I don't think he will do much. Still, still, still a club in disarray. With that, we're going to sign off. Uh, we'll be back later in the week and touch upon all things internationals. We got to talk about the new UEFA Nations League. And then, of course, the U.S. men's national team, that they will take on Brazil. So we'll talk to you again later in the week. Until then, sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. And then one Yank, one Swede. Number one Yank, number one Swede. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.